Well, it's Easter, and I'm so happy to be able to celebrate Easter with you. And I thought to myself, what better, what better way of, of thinking about Easter than to talk about um, my childhood uh, superhero interests? Yeah. I grew up around the time that, that Marvel had not quite reached the ascendancy that it has now, and, and DC still had some, some heroes that people were excited about, one of whom is Superman. Raise your hand if you grew up, you know, excited about Superman. Okay, and raise your hand if, don't raise your hand if you didn't, I don't want, no booze, no, none of that. But he's, he's the quintessential superhero. You know, he, he comes off as this, this mild-mannered Clark Kent, and, and I, I remember watching the show uh, Lois and Clark, and he's this kind of ditzy, you know, fuddy-duddy guy with glasses, kind of ridiculous. You know, you, you have the glasses on, and you're, you know, you're just a, a, a dunce, and then you take the glasses off, and you're like, oh, you're amazing. You know, it's, it's the equivalent of the rom-com where it's like, I never saw you there, and then she takes off the glasses, and she's like, you're beautiful. You know, have the glasses on, you're a mild-mannered reporter, take the glasses off, you're literally Superman. And it's, it's funny, and, but if we were to enter into that world of, of Superman, can you imagine being the people who, who had worked with him, who had so foolishly just made some assumptions? Oh, he's, he's okay. You know, Clark, we've, we've been out to lunch. He's, he's kind of a klutz and a little shy, a little bookish. And, and you know, I like him. We, we hang out, I guess. But, and then imagine the moment where you, you maybe find out, maybe you get to see him changing into his Superman uniform in a, uh, a telephone booth. A telephone booth is, there were booths at one time where you would actually step into this box on the street and then you would take out coins, which are currency that you, it's not on a, a credit card, it's, it's metal. And so you'd put these metal round uh, discs into this box with a handset, and you'd put your head up to it. It's like a Bluetooth speaker to shove on your face. And but he would go in, and he would become Superman. And imagine you you're watching this, and you're like, oh, his writing is really bad, but also he's Superman. Can you imagine that just the the shift that would happen in in your thinking? You, you'd rethink all the moments that you'd had with him. You. You would rethink that time that, you know, he tripped and fell and he was like, oh, my ankle. You're like, really, Superman? And, and I, I, I make this, this illustration to point out the fact that when we think about Jesus, I think that it can be very easy for us to get to a place of thinking him, about him like Clark Kent. Like, he's nice. You know, gentle, meek and mild Jesus, carrying a lamb. Jesus who, who wanted to, to love people, you know, and he did. He, he certainly wanted, if you read the book of John, you see that he cares about people. He, he loves people. How, how he's so, he goes to Pilate and, and he endures suffering and, and you can begin to have this idea that maybe Jesus' meekness is, is weakness. Maybe his mild-mannered nature is all that's there. And the resurrection is the point at which we, we get to see a bit of a glimpse into the power and the glory of God. We get to see that, you know what, Clark Kent isn't just Clark Kent. 
And in fact, he's not someone to be trifled with. You see, Jesus, mild though he was, patient, soft-spoken at times, kind though he was, he's God. And in the resurrection, we see God at work. We've been, we've been looking at the book of Colossians, and Paul has been talking about God. And today we're going to read what is, in my opinion, one of the most awesome summarizations of who Jesus is. Theologians call it the, the, the colossal Jesus or, or um, uh, like ultimate, the ultimate expression of Jesus. You have, the, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John who, who look at him and, and kind of focus in on aspects of his humanity and his divinity. But here in Colossians, Paul, he, he's, he's going all the way in to speak about how, how much of God Jesus is, which is 100%. So we're going to read out of Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. If you're new, we have a tradition where we like to read the Word of God together out loud. So if you guys will stand with me, we'll have the words up here and you can read with me. I'll try to read without making mistakes. If I do, just keep on going. We're going to read the Word of God together. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. King Jesus, we come to you, and, and I ask that you would open our eyes, not just to see your, your sweet kindness to us, but to give us a vision of your awesomeness that we get a sense of the power and the wonder of the God whom we serve. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would impress upon us just how powerful Jesus is. That we would in a moment have the kind of perspective that, that puts ourselves and our circumstances and our situations, our pain our relationships in proper perspective. God, I pray that, that we would see that Jesus is greater. Period. So God, I pray that you would do the work that you do by your spirit, that you would convince us, that you would convict us, that you would give us holy repentance to see that Jesus is greater and Lord, I pray that you would quicken our hearts so that we might be excited about that fact, that it would not be a condemning fact or a depressing fact, but it'd be one that brings freedom. 
God, that we would not need to be our own gods, that we would not need to seek our own gods, but that we would be able to, in our submission, freely be who you've made us to be. Freely worship how you've made us to worship. God, open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word, we pray. Amen. You can be seated. You are my hero. In this passage of text, we see really three things. We see that Jesus is ultimate. And he breaks it out in in three kind of broad ways. We first see that Jesus is our ultimate source. We secondly see that Jesus is ultimate in creation. And finally, we see that Jesus is ultimate in salvation. Now, what do I mean by ultimate? I mean that he is supreme. He is above all. He's the greatest of all time. I don't want to say he's the goat because that's weird. But you get what I'm getting at. He's ultimate. He's our ultimate source. He's ultimate in creation. And he's ultimate in salvation. And I want to tell you that that's good. As we read this you might be tempted to think to yourself, who cares? What does this have to do with my life, my bills, my messed up family that I have to go see for Easter and eat weird ham and whatever? What does this have to do with my boss who's given me a hard time at work? What does this have to do with my relationships? What does this have to do with my confusion? And I want to tell you, family, this has everything to do with those things. Because Jesus is at the center of all of this. And, and that's, not just, that's not just me quoting a song. Jesus at the center of... That's, that, that's the song I was thinking about. Um, it's a true song. But it's true because of the Bible. Anyways, we'll get there. Jesus is ultimate. Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. There's a lot of things packed into that little statement. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That word image there, it it was used to describe statues, pictures, things like that of deities. So if you had images, you had these things that represented the God behind it. So Paul is saying that when you look at Jesus, you see God. Now prior to this, the Jewish people understood that God was invisible, that he was not someone that you could see. But we see that in Jesus... God became flesh, right? John talks about it in in the gospel of John chapter one. He says that in the beginning was the word talking about Jesus. And when he says the beginning, he means like the beginning, not the beginning of the story, not the beginning of of, uh, the life of Jesus, but he says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was what? Was God. He was in the beginning with God. And it goes on to say in verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. God was made, he he was spoken. We heard him when we saw Jesus. Can you get that sense of what I'm saying? We, We had not seen God, but when the word came, we heard God. When Jesus came, we saw God. What, what does that have to do with 
an ultimate source. Well, if God is who God is, if he's the creator of all things, if God is the source of all life, if, if God is the source of not just all life, but all truth, all meaning, all purpose, then Jesus is the source of all those things. As you're driving down the road, thinking about your job and asking to yourself, does it even matter? It, it might. What does it have to do with what God is doing in your life. God has given you some abilities. Some of, we had some musicians up here. And, and they have unique abilities that, that not all of us have. We can all make a joyful noise. We don't all make necessarily joyful sounds. Or, you know, joyful to other people type sounds. And there's something about performing or, or playing with someone who is gifted who's been created and certainly done a lot to, to practice and, and perfect their, their craft, but, but has pursued this and does so to the glory of God. The fact that, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God speaks to the fact that we can look to Jesus and say, God, help me and inform my understanding of who I am, what I'm meant to do, who I've been crafted to be. Jesus is immensely meaningful to that. He's our source of knowing our purpose. He's the source of knowing who God is. You know, we live in a world that, that wants to find God in everywhere except for the Bible. <laughs> and, and, but we're looking. Your, your, your classmates, your, your coworkers, you, many of you, I'm sure, are at church because that's what you do at Easter and also because maybe, you know, the back of your mind, you're looking. And I'm so glad you're here. Because I think the word tells us that, that if you're looking for God, if you're looking for purpose, if you're, if you're looking for meaning, you can find it here. And we're going to figure out why that is for a second. But, but we are made to know him. We're made for meaning. You and I, we're made to, to, to know and, and understand that there's meaning in existence. Right? It's early. We're like, what? We're talking about meaning? I'm not ready for that. We're, we're made for meaning, right? We want to understand things. It's the, it's the reason that babies learn languages, because they're, that's what they're geared for. You know, I, I had so much fun with my little ones, um, and I've got videos of them where, where they're just looking at me, and I'm looking at them, and they just start to try and talk. And I try to, and I, I, I won't do it for the sake of you guys, but we have a, a, a baby conversation because they're searching for meaning. They're searching for connection. They're searching for relationship. All of these things being intertwined. And if I had to guess, I would, I would assume that you are here because in part you're searching for meaning or you're looking for confirmation of, of what the purpose of life is. What's the meaning of my being here? Both in, in the grand spectrum, you know, big picture, what's the meaning of humanity, and in your own personal life, is there, is there a meaning that's specifically catered and, and crafted to me? And I would say that, that there is. And the fact that Jesus is the ultimate source, revealing God, means that our search for meaning ends in Jesus. I'll repeat that. The fact that Jesus is the ultimate source of all things, revealing God means that your search for meaning, your search for purpose, ends in him. 
That doesn't mean that everyone in this room needs to become a pastor. That you could hear that and think, well, that's, no. I, I'm not interested in that. But, but he who has made you has made you for a purpose. He who has made you has made you with meaning. If you have come to this place feeling hopeless or like there's no meaning, there's no purpose, let me tell you, there is meaning for your life. There is purpose for your life. And it is available to you. It's not over here where you can't get to it. I'll never know what I was made for. My parents, I don't know my parents. They didn't give me meaning. My, My friends don't give me meaning. My job doesn't give me purpose. It doesn't give me meaning. There is meaning and purpose for you available. And Jesus is the ultimate source. He's the ultimate source of meaning for us in creation because he's the ultimate in creation. He goes on and he says, he's the firstborn of all creation. That's a weird thing for us to say, firstborn of all creation. Some of your Bibles might say firstborn over all creation, and I think that's a, a helpful translation. The idea there is not that he was the first to be born. right? In, in our kind of American society, we don't, you know, it's, it's birth order. There's not much else. You know, you're first, you're second, you're third, and you're like, you relate to adults well, you relate to kids well, and you're just crazy. You know, that's kind of birth order, right? Not crazy in a good way, I'm sure. But, but we don't think about necessarily what, it, what, did, what did they understand firstborn to mean. And for them, it, it was a sense of preeminence. The firstborn in, in Jewish culture would be given a double portion so that they could care for the family and do what they needed to do. There was a responsibility. There was a, there was a a status to it. And so when Paul says that, that he's the firstborn of all creation, it really means that he stands preeminent, supreme over all of creation. And he goes on and he says, here's what I mean. For, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created, what? Through him and for him. Now the first thing he says is for by all things, by him all things were created. In my Bible, it's the ESV that says by all things. In, in the original language, the word is in, in all things, or sorry, in him, all things were created. And, and sometimes it can mean by, like by means of. So it can mean that Jesus was the means by which everything was created. And that's true, right? In the beginning, God spoke, and that speaking was the, Jesus, the word somehow creating. That is a true statement. And he says it later on, and he says, all things were created, what, through him. But right here where it says, for by him all things, cre- all things were created, I think we can go to the original language and, and it, it says, in him. And there's this sense in which everything is created with respect to Jesus. Everything is created attached to the reality of Jesus Christ. We, we don't just live as points floating around in creation, we're all tied back to Jesus like spokes on a wheel. Everything was created in him. Even the highest authorities. He talks about, you know, uh, visible and invisible. Everything was created visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. 
In, in Ephesians, Paul says a similar thing that when it says that, that Jesus was raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father. And he says he's been seated far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And I love that verse. I quote it all the time because it speaks to the ultimate awesomeness of Jesus. There's no authority that steps out of God's authority. Now, there's evil in the world. There's wickedness in the world. There are those who are in rebellion but they are not outside of the sphere of God's authority, as though he were incapable of dealing with it. And for those who persist in evil and wickedness, the nations that persist in evil and wickedness, when we look around, it is just the mercy of God that does not crush them in a moment, because he exists far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. He is supreme over creation. He says all things were created through him and for him. God, Jesus does not stand off as some sort of, you know, I'm just going to step off and, and let you guys do your thing. In a sense, we could almost say that he's, he's at work now creating. He's at work now building. He's at work now forming and shaping. All things were created through him, and ultimately all things were created, what, for him, all things were created for Jesus. You know, when I wake up in the morning, I think about me. Because I like me. And usually in the mornings, I want some coffee. So I go to my office, put my contacts in while the Keurig pours me some coffee because it's about me. Put some cream in that coffee. I sit down and read my Bible because in my world, I got to read my Bible a little bit. And then I go do what I want to do. And we, and we can live our lives very honestly thinking that life is about me. Because that's all we know. I mean, you kind of have to pry that thought process out of a, a, a little child kicking and screaming, right? Uh, babies, when you watch them, everything is an extension of that baby. That's why that baby does not care if he takes this baby stuff. And he will laugh if that baby cries because it's mine, and you're somehow some extension of me, and you're just wiggling, and there's water coming out. This is funny, because we see ourselves at the center of our own stories. We don't, that's the perspective that we're born with, and sin exacerbates that perspective. Uh, this is where conflict comes in, because I have my reality, you have your reality, they don't, you know, and, and my reality is the right one, yours is the wrong one, because you're, you're a character in my story. I'm not a foil in your story. You're, you're supposed to get my story to keep moving forward towards the plot and ultimate climax of being, me being awesome and, and crowned king of all things. No, but, but what does it say? All things were created for Eddie. Oh, cool. No, it doesn't say that. Does it say that in your Bible? If it does, let me see it. I'm curious. No, it says all things were created for him. Your life was created for a purpose, and it's for Jesus. And I want you to hear that as a positive thing. On, on my best days, I don't do the best job at running my life. And, and you, can, you can look at people who are amazing CEOs, masters of industry, master workers of, of art, 
And there will always be areas of their life that they just have not gained mastery over. That they, it's just a mess. Because we were never intended to be at the center of our own stories. I mean, it, it would be like watching Superman and focusing on the guy on the street. Right? You're watching the movie, Superman goes into the phone booth that we talked about, but the, the camera is, is centered in on this guy who's, who's writing something in his notebook. And then Superman kind of flies out, but it just stays with the guy. No, go with the guy. The, what's, what's Superman doing? We don't care because we're focused on Bill. What's Bill going to do? Nobody cares because Bill is a, he's a side character to this greater story. And I love you, family. God's story is better. And you're not just, a, by God's grace, he's, he's so, he's capable of making a three-dimensional story where your life has meaning and it legitimately matters. And at the same time, you are not the center of existence. That's a good thing. Just, just feel the weight of existence coming off your shoulders. I don't have to, carry this. You're not the center. You don't have to act like you're the center. You're not the center. You don't have to be perfect. You're not the center. You don't have to worry about all the things. You're not the center. You don't have to be God because God is God. Jesus is ultimate in creation and finally he's ultimate in, in salvation. It says in verse um, 17, he, he's before all things and hold things all together. He sustains us, verse 18, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, what, by bl the blood of his cross. He, he's not just preeminent in creation. It says that he is the firstborn from the dead. And again, same language. He's supreme over the dead. Why? Because he rose from the dead. Right? Well, that's what we're celebrating today. Jesus rose from the dead. Right? That's the difference between him and everyone else. Is when, when we take a dirt nap, we don't get up. Sorry. I don't know if that's news to some of you. Jesus, he dusted himself off and, and got out. He rose from the dead. He's preeminent over the dead, right? So if Jesus is preeminent over creation, oh, creation, there's this thing called death and sin, and that's pretty bad, and everyone's kind of subject to it, and he's like, no, 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 not me, right? He's not, he's not subject to creation, and he's not subject to death. He's not subject to what? Anything. He's not subject to anything or anyone. He's far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and death and sin and suffering and pain. He's far above all of it. Not in the sense that he is not willing to enter into your pain, but in the sense that that pain is not going to deter him from his purposes. And here he is reconciling us. This God who's so amazing, who's so far off, who's so great, who's so big, he steps into your life. 
He steps into your junk. He steps into your mess. Where, where people have rejected you and said, that's, that's too much for me. Where people have, have walked away from you. Where you have found yourself doing the thing you keep wanting not to do and you just can't seem to get freedom from it. He steps into your mess. Paul says in Romans, this letter that he writes to the, the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 5, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. See, at, at your worst moment, right, just take a second, think about your portfolio. I'm not talking about your financial one. I'm talking about your life. And don't just think about like, the gold medals that you got and the, and the gold stars. I'm talking about, take a second, you don't have to look at anyone and think about that thing or those things. You're like, I'm not talking about that. We're not talking about that. Where, where you were like, that was not, I did not mean to do or say those things that I did and said. It's in that moment like, that Jesus steps in. This, this is the amazing thing about God. It's not just that God is willing to forgive us. It's not just that God is willing to, to take our sin, our, our willing disobedience to him, our, our, our desire to live our own lives apart from him, our rebellion against him. It's not just that he's willing to, to forgive that. It's that he is so awesome and powerful and amazing and deserving so much glory and honor, and yet he, he humbles himself to come and show his love to us. In Philippians chapter 2, another letter of Paul. I like Paul. Paul's a good guy. Like my opinion matters. <laughs> the church, like, there we go. Because I'm at the center. I'm not at the center. In, in, in Philippians chapter 2, it says, so if there's any encouragement, guys, if you could be in, all encouraged by Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the, in the Spirit, Paul's writing and he's saying, guys, if you could just kind of listen for a second, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love and being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but what? In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Why, Paul? Why should I do that? Let each of you not look to his own uh, interests. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being, in, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It's not just that, that this guy, Jesus, this cool philosopher, teacher guy who had some wisdom was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a noble thing and I'm going to go on the cross and I'm going to die for your sins. No, it's that God, God comes, puts on the flesh of his creation and he doesn't just say, worship me. No, he says, I am going to humble myself going to die. He lives with these three, these 12 knuckleheads, and at the end of the time, he literally washes their feet, and they're like, what? I mean, can you imagine how frustrating that would be if it was us? 
How easily do I get frustrated? And Jesus is laboring and laboring and laboring. He literally saw the world spin into existence and he's washing these nasty toes trying to say, be a servant like I'm a servant. And they don't get it. And he enters into their junk. He enters into your junk. He enters into my junk. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Today, I'm happy to say that Jesus is risen. And I'm happy to say that the fact that Jesus has risen is an indication that I'm not at the center of reality. You're not at the center of reality. That's good. That's good. Because you are attached to a God who wants to give you purpose, who wants to give you meaning, who wants to enter into your junk, who wants to give you life. The word says that, that there's not really anything that we can do to get to God. You know why? Because we're not at the center of our story. There's nothing that I can do to overcome the sin that separates me from God. I'm incapable of doing it on my own. But, but the exciting news of Easter is that Jesus is God who became man. He dies on the cross, humbles himself, and he rises again, defeating our greatest enemies, Satan, sin, and death. And offering for us to step into our purposes. Salvation is not about getting, I, I joked about this during our communion time, salvation is not about getting a harp and, and sitting on a, on a cloud and, and getting cherub wings and, and playing songs you don't like. That's, that's not what salvation is. Some of us were like, if that's salvation, I'm not interested. No, imagine living your life Stepping into the, the most vivid expression of everything that you were uniquely crafted to be because you were reunited and reconciled to the God who loves you and who you were made to serve and worship. That's, that's what you're invited into. Not some sort of Pollyanna, we're going to go skipping in the fields for eternity. Boring. No, we're going to celebrate. Some of us, will, maybe we'll play instruments. I don't know if they will have guitars in heaven. So, someone does. But we will, we will be the best version of ourselves because of what Christ has done. You know, and what God calls for us to do is to put our trust in Jesus. In other words, to, to trust him to be the center to turn away from everything that, that is rebellion and disobedience to God and really is an effort for us to be our own center of our story and, and to follow him. And so as we bow our heads, I want to ask you this question. Are you trying to sustain your own life? Are you trying to be at the center of your own story? I would invite you to just lay down the mantle of God. Don't, don't try to carry this weight of being God in your own life. There is a God. 
His name is Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for our sins in our place. And if you would trust in him, not in your own abilities, not in your own performance, not in your own efforts, then you could step into God's purposes for your life. God, we worship you and we praise you and we thank you that, I thank you that I'm not, I'm not the point. Jesus, you're the point. God, I thank you that you're the point. And I pray that you would, that that reality would like a tree grow in our hearts and and it would become luscious and and fruit bearing. And and the fact that you are the point would would just flow out of all the things we say and do in our, our marriages, in our relationships, in our parenting, in our work, in our art, in our focus, Lord, that, that, that Jesus being the center would just flow out of it and express itself in the, all the multifaceted ways that you have created us to express them. Jesus, you are awesome. We worship you today. Amen. Love you, family.